You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Wentz from the shotgun, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. Wentz gets hit by Frank Clark, and Clark slams him down. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. First and ten, the play fake. Russell looks, going to lay it up for the end zone. Doug Baldwin reaches out, makes the catch. Is he in? He is. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. We get you ready for all things Seahawks leading up to their game against the L.A. Chargers. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined, as always, by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hi, everyone, and hello, Jen. Hello. Last week when we were talking about their matchup against Detroit, we kind of went out on a limb, or maybe I kind of went out on a limb, and said last week felt a little bit like a must-win game for the Seahawks. I don't think that I was alone by the time we got to game day and having that feeling. And now that we're through it, how would you describe this feeling? It, you know, I think it was a, whether you call it must win or not, it was a very big win just in terms of they went on the road, they beat a good team, and they set themselves up now very well for the rest of the season of, look, they've got a long ways to go. They need to play well. But all of a sudden you look at four and three and where the rest of the NFC is sitting, a lot of home games coming up that, it looks very doable for the CX to have a good season here. You know, and it's so funny. You mentioned the home games, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to do for the weekend, and how do I need to prepare? And it's like, well, I do have a college game to work this weekend, but I don't have to go anywhere on Sunday. Yeah, I don't have to It pack. is so weird. I think we do need to get our rain gear out. Actually, I you don't. don't. You Pr- sit in the press, press box. Press box is cozy, but it's, yeah, you might. You know, I think I'm going to have to pull out all the rain gear, maybe some cold weather gear on Sunday, and that'll be just fine. And to me, I think by the time you get to this point in the schedule, yeah, Yes, there are some tough matchups, and I don't want to overlook any team, and we're going to dive into what it looks like against the Chargers, but it does almost feel like you can take a breath knowing that you have played most of your road games, and now you can take advantage of the home crowd. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to open the way the Seahawks did, but the plus side of that coming out of it is you get a ton of home games here. You know, they go home then road but then after that it's five of their last seven at home which is a huge advantage to have especially this time of year is it's going to be getting wet and gross and when you're that team that plays the way the Seahawks are this year they're running the ball a ton that that can really make a difference and it does feel like this Seahawks team is back to feeling like it did and I'm going to say 2012 and before people overreact or poke holes in that just the vibe around the team whether it's them running the ball and certainly the way the defense is playing. And that's kind of where I wanted to start the conversation today with how good is that defense and their ability to stop the run against the Lions? Yeah, it's been really impressive. And, you know, actually, if you look at the stats, the run defenses kind of would on paper look like their weakness, but they played really well against the run last week and they knew the Lions would want to run it. They held a running back carry on Johnson, who was averaging over six yards a carry coming into the game. They held him to 22 yards on eight carries and just turned the Lions into a one-dimensional offense. To your point about 2012, we've heard that from players. Russell Wilson's brought it up. Bobby Wagner's brought it up. It's, you know, obviously the personnel's different and some of the things are different, but just this aspect of in 2012, the Seahawks are coming off two seven-win seasons. They're starting a rookie quarterback that, you know, not a lot of people thought that highly of at the time. Expectations weren't that high this that year, and they went out, got really hot, finished strong, made the playoffs, and kind of similar this year. A lot of new faces, a lot of young guys, some turnover. 
and the expectations from the outside weren't that high. And now all of a sudden you look at where they are and you're like, okay, maybe this team knows what it's doing. Yeah, and there's definitely a dynamic that Bobby Wagner explained this week about how, you know, you had people from the outside that were overlooking, whether it was players or leadership or the organization, but you have enough veterans who are playing with a chip on their shoulder. It was the same thing in 2012. It's the same thing now. And then you have a lot of young guys who had had success, you know, previously in college or whatever it was, who really wanted to prove that they had been overlooked in some way, shape, or form. And that seems to be kind of that magic chemistry for Pete. And that's, uh, yeah, as I say, I think that's something Pete Carroll and John Schneider do very well. I mean, you got to find just physical talent, the guys who play the game, but those guys who are, whether you want to call it grit or just really motivated, that chip on the shoulder of, you know, Jaron Reed was talking in the locker room the other day about, you know, if, you know, if you weren't believing beforehand, don't stop or don't start now. Like they, they want that kind of, they like that feeling. They thrive off people questioning them. And it is, it's just this really good mix of you have veteran leaders like Bobby and Russ and Doug Baldwin, Dwayne Brown, Justin Britt, just kind of blending really well with a new young hungry group of guys. I also think that you were seeing that communication. when you talk about blending it, look, it takes a couple of weeks. Practice is one thing. Games are entirely different. And we have seen them continue to turn the corner and just, be on the same page. And I think KJ did a lot for the defense returning last yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, he's the classic, you know, makes everyone around him better kind of guy. As cliche as that might sound, it's very true. And especially for the guys kind of playing in the middle field like him and Bobby Wagner or Bradley McDougald when he's kind of down in the box, they're really in charge of making sure everybody's on the same page. And when you suddenly have three experienced veterans in those type of roles, especially KJ who's been here since 2011, it makes a huge difference. Look, the guys who played there, especially Barkevius Mingo lately, they played well. They had good options. I think their linebacker depth has been as good as it's been. But you just can't replace that experience, especially not just what he is individually, but what he and Bobby Wagner kind of are as a unit. Right. Also, the accountability that he brings. I can't remember if it was you and I that were talking about this after the game or me and somebody else. We were saying he looks like the dad out there. You yeah. know, somebody you, screws you were up. You commenting on that. And, and, and he is – and KJ is just like, you and you over there? Like, how many times do I have to tell you? Yeah. Or like the story he told where he's watching the game with his wife when he was injured and, and he uh, – he, joking and he didn't want to have to explain everything and, and to his wife and saying yeah you're right bobby messed up on that play and you know, he's joking obviously but that's the kind of thing he probably does watch on tv and he's going oh this guy messed up this and this and he's the one who's you know out there fixing it when he is on the field yeah bobby told me that uh, kj and ken norton those are the two that can hold him accountable and call him on his stuff better and more often than anybody else so there is definitely something to be said for what KJ brings to the defense. And before we dive into what the specific matchup looks like, let's look to the other side of the ball, because I think it was the Seahawks' run defense against the Lions team that it had a lot of success, as you pointed out. 34 rushing yards given up. That's really impressive. Matthew Stafford got his yards. You kind of knew that he was going to do that because he, he can throw the ball downfield. On the offensive side, what did we learn about the Seahawks in Detroit? You know, more of the same, just that they're... Do you mean David Moore or just more of the same? Was that M-O-O-R-E or just a... Clever, but no, I just meant Shoot, I thought I picked up on one of your puns. Almost as clever as my tweet saying we're going to have to start calling him David Most. I got booed on that. Oh, come on. I'm going to boo you right now. Boo. But no, it's just they're showing that that formula they've been going to works really well of running the ball... And the passing game just continues to get more and more explosive off of that running game. Russell Wilson, perfect passer. I mean, to throw for 250 yards on 17 attempts is pretty insane. 
you know, three. he's had three touchdowns for three straight games now. He's taking care of the ball. He only has one interception since week two. So it's just that, you know, that running game makes the whole offense better, and the offensive line keeps showing that they've really turned the corner. It's just, to me, that game was more about just validating what we've seen yeah. against probably the best opponent they faced in, since early in the season. Yeah, I would agree, because in last week's game against Detroit, Russell Wilson completed nine passes of 12 or more yards. Five of those went for 20 or more, and it really does go back to the run game when you've got Chris Carson running as hard as he can and, and as hard as he does, and it opens up chances for Tyler Lockett. For We saw Dixon get involved in that one, not Michael, Ed. But Michael got involved. But Michael too, got too, involved, you know. too. He's averaging nine yards to carry di- now. Right. But you, know, you mentioned Ed Dixon. I mean, that's a perfect example. That play, well, thank you. the third and one, everyone on the Lions defense bit so hard on the play fake because that's everyone knows now the Seahawks are this running team and they can pound the ball. And all of a sudden, you've got a tight end running down the field completely open. I mean, if, if he makes one guy miss, that's a touchdown. And He's heard about that. Yeah, I'm sure he has. Yeah. Pete Carroll's brought it up a couple times. So, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were hoping he could have made it. But still, 42 yards and just uncovered. So, yeah, and that was one of two deep balls that he had. Uh, I mean, he had the touchdown, then he had that one that was on the sideline that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's... He was involved in a couple of those those big plays. And we have talked about David Moore in previous weeks and kind of wondering where he is in his development. I thought that Pete Carroll had some really interesting things to say about the Seahawks wide receiver this week. And listen how he actually compares him to a former Seahawks wide receiver that you'll know. Remember, we always talk about with young guys, we have to put them in positions to be successful early so that we can establish some reason to be confident. And then we expand the role as they go. And, uh, you know, that's why you, David has started even in year two a little bit slower than, than maybe we would like. And you watch it. Why weren't you throwing the ball all the time? Because he's been so effective so far. But it's just a process, and, and um, he's grown. He, he feels great about playing. And he's also got, you know, Nate's on him day after day about the little things, the alignments, and all the footwork stuff. Um, and will continue to be that way for some time. There was a... Um, one other thing about that, that, you know, he was a lot like Golden to me. And, you know, we just, Golden's kind of in the news because of the trade and all that. But Golden had played baseball, uh, you know, throughout college and played a few years, I think just three years. And, and he, he likewise didn't have all of the detail work that, that was necessary. And it takes some time to get that going, you know. And, and so you got to find a reason to believe in the player and the athlete to stick them out there when you know that they're likely to not be quite as accurate with their stuff as the other guys. So. I had not thought about David Moore being so much like Golden Tate. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah, and essentially he's, you know, it's not so much he's saying he's the same player as Golden Tate, but just that process of Golden Tate, even though he played at a huge program, Notre Dame, you think, you know, pro-ready guys, he was not polished when he came here at all because of how much time he spent playing baseball. And I think, honestly, Golden Tate would be the first to tell you, because he was so good physically, he didn't really have to. He, he talked about that. He was very self-aware by his second or third year. I remember having conversations with him. Like He came in kind of not knowing how to really study and work hard because he didn't have to because mm-hmm. he's just such a freak of an athlete. And that may not have been the case with David Moore in terms of like the work ethic or the, the want to. He just came from such a small football program and just different background that he had a ton of catching up to do. So it's what's really great about what he's doing lately is we're seeing kind of the physical talent come out, but it's still he's still a long ways from a finished product. And I thought it was also interesting when Pete Carroll commented on, you know, you're always trying to get those young guys to have some confidence. There are more opportunities for him in this offense. But for as much as you've seen, there is still a lot for him to learn and take in. I cannot imagine how many details he's got to keep straight 
on game day or any of these practice days. Yeah. It's got to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. Exactly. And that position, that is one of I mean, we see it all the time all around the league. It's hard for young receivers to come in and thrive right away if you guys do it. But that generally tends to be a position, and Tate was a great example of that, of where guys – you know, it's late year two, year three, where guys kind of hit their stride. Well, and we've seen the Seahawks have success. If you look at Golden Tate, who was more of a true wide receiver, who developed that technique, and then you can look at somebody like Ricardo Lockett, who was just a burner, who became a receiver, who learned these techniques along the way. And David Moore, the one thing that you cannot deny is that, A, he's an incredible athlete. B, he's got incredible hands. And yeah. I would take him on a jump ball against just about yeah, like that, anybody. That, his first catch, that third down conversion, where he just reached out and just held on tight as a defensive back was trying to rip his arms apart. It's He's strong. I mean, Pete Carroll keeps talking about that. You look at him, if you see him in the locker room, you know, like every NFL player, he's incredibly fit, but you don't look at him and think big, strong guy, right. but he plays yep. strong. He does. And, uh, you know, the numbers that we talked about with Russell Wilson and with the wide receivers, there's reason to think that those numbers are going to be potentially increased this week because the Chargers defense has allowed 32 completions of 20 or more yards. They rank 30th in the NFL in those explosive plays allowed. And the defense is not getting much pressure in the way of their pass rush. So give Russell Wilson the time that he's got in the pocket, the shots deep. And I think that this is a good recipe on Sunday. Absolutely. And it'll be interesting. You mentioned the pass rush. We saw Melvin Ingram give give the Seahawks some fits in the preseason. And look, you don't scheme in the preseason like you would in a regular season game, but we've seen this line take a big step forward, and Jermaine Effetti in particular, and I think this will be a good kind of good benchmark to see how far they've come against a guy that gave them trouble. Yeah, absolutely. The Seahawks' offensive line has not allowed more than two sacks in a game since week two, and Russell Wilson was sacked in the fourth quarter of last week's game, and I would argue on both of those sacks last week, you could also call them coverage sacks. Yeah. It's not like it was the, anybody just got blown it, yeah, up and Yeah, it wasn't and somebody flying off the edge yep. untouched kind of thing. Yeah, no, we've, we've been talking about it for a number of weeks now, but that line has, has really found something. Let's take a look at what the Chargers offense against the Seahawks defense looks like now. And we mentioned that, you know, the Seahawks have faced some running backs that have had a lot of success and been able to bottle them up. Melvin Gordon is going to be a big one this week. He has been dealing with an injury. The game that he played against the Browns, so the Chargers are coming off a bye. The week that he played against the Browns, he rushed for 132 yards and three touchdowns. All indications would appear that we are going to see him yeah, on you know, Sunday. Nothing's for sure yet from what we've heard with his injury, but it, it certainly sounds like he's going to go, and he, he's been a really good back. And then you throw in Austin Eckler, who's averaging 5.8 yards a carry. So it's they've got a nice one-two punch there, and that running game just complements a quarterback who is you know having one of the best seasons of any quarterback in the NFL. And so let's kind of play this out and do a little hypothetical here. And I am going to put you on the spot, but I'm going to try to give you time to think about this. We have seen the Seahawks take away the run game and allow the quarterbacks to have their yards in the passing game, right? And and just don't get beat deep, which has worked in general yeah, for the most part, right? there's been a few lapses, but yeah, for the most what part. What happens if you do that to the Chargers this week? Because for as good as those running backs are, Phillip Rivers is having one of the best careers, I guess arguably the best year of his 15-year career. 
Does it matter if you take away the run game and make him pass? I think it still would help a lot if you can make them one-dimensional just for the sake of, you know, getting the pass rush going. You can have more nickel out there if you're not worried about having heavy boxes to stop the run. But, look, to say, like, oh, let's stop the run, take our chance with Phillip Rivers, that's going to make it easy. No, Phillip Rivers, as you said, I mean, this this is a guy who's had a Hall of Fame-type career and at 36, almost 37 years old, is playing better than he ever has. His passer rating is... At 117, that would be far and away the best in his career. His you know touchdown interception ratio, 17 to three. His completion percentage is the highest it's ever been. Yards per attempt are the highest they've been. I mean, it's everything he's doing is at a very high level. He's got some great targets led by Keenan Allen. So, yeah, stopping the run will help, but you still need to take care of things on defense. And we've seen it whether it's the preseason games, the 2014 game. Philip Rivers is really good at taking what defense gives him. First thing anyone says when we ask about him this week is how smart he is. And, you know, the Seahawks, as we said, stay on top. That's a huge thing. But sometimes what staying on top in this defense means is you give up some of the underneath stuff. And if you have a quarterback who's patient and smart and knows how to attack that, it can be frustrating to watch, but they'll dink and dunk their way down the field. Yeah, and we have seen the Chargers do that against the Seahawks. And when you mention the pass rush and, and getting to him, he doesn't get sacked. No, he has he, not been sacked much this yeah. year because he gets the bowl out. Yeah, so a couple fast. Of things, yeah, you know, not to disparage your line, but it's less about what their line's doing than I think Philip Rivers is. As you said, he gets about so fast, and then we've seen it. Guys like him, you know, Tony Romo was another good example. You don't think of these guys as great athletes, but when they get pressure, they have that great pocket awareness of just sliding, moving, stepping up, and it's just maddening because you'll think, "Oh, we got a sack," and then all of a sudden he scrambles and he throws it thirty yards, gets a big gain. And I'm, you know, this is probably how other teams feel when they play Russell Wilson, who you know is probably a better athlete than the guys we're talking about. But the same thing of you think you have him. And all of a sudden, it's a huge play. Also, Philip Rivers is not a small dude. No, he can. He is a yeah, he is guys, a solidly you know, he's built the kind of guy that you slide. You know, the classic one is Roethlisberger. Yes, you think you have him, and you think you have him wrapped up, and you kind of just he shrugs you off, and still throw. Cam Newton is another one. Just those big body quarterbacks, they're hard to bring down. Here's one of the numbers that I think is fascinating when it comes to the Chargers' offense. Number one, they are number one in the league on yards they pick up on first down. However, they're not fantastic at converting on third down. Interesting. Yeah. You'd think those two would go hand in hand. I I would think so. So I'm curious again, is it just a matter of the Seahawks defense bowing up and knowing that, yep, he's going to get his yards, and let's just make sure that we get off the field when we're supposed to get off the field, which they have done a pretty good job of the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things with that. But, yeah, I think, as you said, they're going to get some yards. I. We're not. I don't think we're going to see the Seahawks hold the Chargers to you know 250 yards. They're not going to shut them down. But it's you know we talk about when they kind of dink and dunk down the field. The reason Pete Carroll will let teams do that with his defense is it's really hard in the NFL to just go 80 yards with short plays. That's why explosive plays are so important. If you can force a team to have to chip their way down the field, the odds of an incomplete pass happening, the pass rush getting home, a tip ball getting intercepted, just over the course of the number of plays. Plays can happen, and then you get if they do get all the way down there, this is a team that's shown the ability to kind of bow up in the red zone and play tough. So we're going to see the Chargers move the ball. They're going to score some points, but it's 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 whether this defense can do things like stop the run, avoid the big plays, keep getting the turnovers. We you know they're averaging about three turnovers a game. And 
you know, I, I think that it mentally gets taxing when you have to dink and dunk your way down the field with it the does. Seahawks defense. Yeah. It, and especially when they're hitting, I mean, we've seen it lately, when they're hitting guys over in the middle, if you're dinking and dunking and you're punishing them, that make that adds oh, up too. Poor Golden last week against Bobby. Uh, Bobby Wagner I had felt fun bad with that. about that. I'm sure you did. I felt bad. I, I mean, bet Bobby felt really bad. I, do you think Hensie he did? took to Instagram and called it a golden victory. That is pretty clever. Yes, with a picture of him just squishing Golden Tate. There were a couple where I'm like, ooh, man, is there something going on I don't know I about we, between those two? I wish we two? had Bobby mic'd up because you know he was I Instead, I think talking. it was DJ Fluker mic'd up. Which and would also be fun. Also, hilariously fun to, uh, to be, yes. One of my favorites to look at uh, on the sidelines. He's, he's entertaining. He never stops talking. No. And I think I've told you this before. He was the quiet one at Alabama. Did I tell you that? No, you did not. Yeah. Strange. Yeah, he showed up at Alabama, and he wouldn't talk to anybody. And the coach was finally like, hey, you know, like, you could talk, and you could be yourself. I don't think he's ever looked back. He's, yeah, he, he took that advice and ran. <laughs> he ran. Speaking of which, I think we are going to run. That's about all the time we have this week for this week's edition of the Seahawks Insiders Podcast. We hope that we will see you and hear you at CenturyLink on Sunday. John Boyle's got you covered with everything you need on the Seahawks at Seahawks.com. Make sure that you listen to the Seahawks Radio Network, and we will be back with you next week.